Non-binary persons, gentlemen and ladies, Laurel and Hardy, the audio performance you are about to enjoy discusses casinos and gambling. We do not recommend gambling with money you cannot afford to lose or that is needed to pay bills. If you have a gambling problem, contact your problem gambling hotline. If you do not know how to contact your problem gambling hotline, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you and provide it to you. Our hosts' past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including his own. All materials presented here are based on actual facts. Names and dates are changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Some events unrelated to outcomes may be omitted in the interest of preventing listener boredom. It's me, it's TRG, the Rambling Gamer. I thought by now I'd have it all figured out. How not to make the easy thing so hard to do. I thought that I'd be further down this road if I could read the signs that pointed me to the truth. All the crazy and the whiskey. I guess all I'm saying is forgive me. If I don't know what I'm doing, I'm still learning to be human. (laughs) Boy, that is true, and I think we are going to see just a bit of that today. Welcome to episode 111 of our Casino Combat Podcast. I am your somewhat humbled host, TRG. That is a great set of words for Casino Combat. Uh, Saying, doing, learning. Uh, We're kind of about all those things, and we're going to talk a bit today about that in a couple of different ways. We have a lot of stuff going on in the Casino Combat Galaxy, a lot of squad stuff to talk about. Let me do that first, and then we will get the battle plan. If this is your first time, if you just found this at random and wonder what is going on, stick with me. Allow me a few minutes of your time. I've got some very beginner, very first-time things for you coming up in a few minutes. We will teach you to be good at the game of casino gambling if you are interested and stick with us. We will. First up, big, 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 big news. The Excelsior Brigade has a new member. Someone has figured out the clues in the podcast. The real world name of my home casino, Casino 2. Our newest Excelsior Brigade member is Magic Aces. I've known M.A. in a variety of ways for a bit now. He actually just launched a page called The Magic of Advantage Dice Control. I think we can assume that that's about playing three-card poker, right? I mean, that that would fit for a three-card poker group. I'm, I'm joking. We ha- he is a member of our Facebook group, the Casino Combat Squad. If you have an interest in another point of view on craps, an educated and informed point of view, a more knowledgeable point of view, perhaps, certainly go check out his page. Show him some love and support. Casino Wisdom number 81 teaches us to ABC, always be casinoing. And that happens in some neat ways. I had a weekend very recently where Gabriel is in the casino testing a craps strategy that I had as an idea and have been discussing with SameBet. Equine Ensign was in Atlantic City at the same time, and we were discussing, he and I, the information about the crowds, the table limits, his result, that kind of thing. All while at the same time, on the same weekend, ECE and I are working through the math on a new idea that he and I had. And I'm not sure exactly how that dialogue started. I'm not sure who had which idea first. That is just the great part about that. This is an ongoing big moment. Different people, different projects, all going on in the background of my life, all happening at the same time. 
We have moved beyond one guy. We've moved beyond one guy's thoughts, one guy's idea. This is now an ongoing research project by all of us who want to participate into ways to beat the casino, into ways to win the game of casino gambling. Big ways, small ways, a variety of ways. Look, no one but me signed up for this. But when I looked over the, the great work that ECE did in our conversation, when I tried to start to put it together to summarize it, I realized a couple things. I realized it needed to be content. I realized that there was enough math and numbers in it that perhaps podcast content wasn't where that belonged. And I realized that ECE understood things a lot better than I did. And as I said, he didn't sign up for this. Equine Ensign didn't sign up to give me reports from Atlantic City, to hear my crazy idea about some database that I want to create or some this or that. Same bet did not sign up to get messages from me while I'm in the casino, while I've had an idea about how to approach craps a little differently. Gabriel didn't sign up to test my ideas. Well, I guess he volunteered. I guess he heard about the idea and thought maybe it was good enough that he wanted to give it a go. So maybe, okay, maybe I get a little credit. He gets a little uh, credit for actually volunteering for that one. But certainly ECE never, ever signed up for me to send him an email and say, I'm requesting some content. I'd like you to put together, I did, I sent him an email and I said, content request and feel free to say no and if you wouldn't mind and... Whenever you have time, and I, I said all those things, but I said, would you would you put together a blog post? Would you would you put together a blog post for us and summarize all that math that we were talking about? Summarize that strategy we're talking about. Summarize that thing we were testing, so that the whole squad can can use that information. And then I said, because quite frankly, you understand it better than I do, and it's going to take me a lot of time and effort, which I'm happy to do, but it's going to take me a lot of time and effort to translate your excellent math into something that I could send you to review. And ECE being ECE, East Coast Emissary, being an Inner Circle member, being fourth to the ring, was more than willing to help us out on that. What ECE and I were discussing was that any, while any outcome is possible, it is highly probable that with a nearly 50-50 wager, you will win at least one of every two wagers. And ECE and I broke through the math and we did some testing and we were looking at, was it Baccarat, was it Blackjack? Oh, it should probably be this, it should maybe be that. And this created a process that ECE is calling the Mini Martingale for using free and match bets to maximize your profit. He did a great job of taking me through the math as we did some testing, and he then generously wrote out the entire mini Martingale math, the entire strategy that we kind of came up with, with him being the leading mind on that, and me just kind of throwing in some ideas, published on the Casino Combat page, in the blog section, as a blog post, as a PDF if you want it, for, for the squad to take a look at and or download. So that is there as well. It's in the blog section. In fact, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll put it both places. Maybe we'll put it in the blog in a blog post and then put it as a downloadable thing from Fred. Yeah, actually, that probably makes a lot of sense. We'll maybe put that with Fred. But it'll be there. It'll be available. It's a nice piece of math. It is a good technique if you want to maximize value out of free bets, match bets. 
an excellent thing to come out of that little laboratory that is me and a lot of our other squad mates kind of just kicking ideas around, kind of going into the lab, kind of trying to bring information and value out of the conversations that we have that are offline. Alabama Renegade checked in, Excelsior Brigade member, with a great casino story and uh, I think a bit of wisdom, although there's room here for debate. Here goes. Here's what AR said to me. He says, may I be so bold as to recommend an addition to your core concepts? If it doesn't fit the bill, at least it comes with a story that you might find interesting. And as a side note here, I am always, 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 always to take suggestions. I am always, you don't need to be bold. I've made the invitation. The metaphorical door is open. In fact, I don't even have a metaphorical door. You are welcome to email me, message me, any way that makes sense to you. And you are welcome to make suggestions, recommendations, provide ideas, share stories. You're also more than welcome, particularly if you're an Excelsior Brigade member or an Inner Circle member. And if you don't want to do this, I understand. And I completely accept that. But you don't have to have your stories told in my voice, with my inflection, with my sense of what's important. You're welcome to take a voice recorder, record your story, and email it to me. These are available for almost every smartphone. They're available for almost every device and computer. You are welcome to record your story in your words, your way, and send it to me. And then I will happily have T-Rex. <laughs> I'm so generous with T-Rex this time. I will happily have T-Rex edited in so that I don't have to read your story. You are welcome to create content on my behalf. That's not the point. That is not. It's, it's a fun joke, I guess. It's an amusing way to present that. What I'm trying to really say is, particularly if you've involved yourself with the podcast and you want your voice to share your story, this is our platform and you are welcome. Anytime. Standing offer. Suggest a way. Tell me your thoughts. So, I completely went sideways on that one. What my thought here is that I think this is more a wisdom than a core concept, but I I may be wrong. You see, in a follow-up email, AR told me that as a truck driver, he found the podcast in January. That's January of this year. That's not that long ago. And he listened through the entire playlist and then realized that if I was going to keep an every two-week schedule, which I consistently failed to keep, but if I was going to keep an every two-week schedule, that wasn't going to be enough for him. So he went back through a second time, through the whole thing. And he is now on his third pass, and he is still finding things that he considers useful and informative and interesting. So it is possible, as the person who's been through the content the most... It is very possible that he knows the content better than anyone else on the planet. And this this is a concept and not a wisdom. I might be wrong. He might be right. He might know my material better than I know my material. That is actually possible. But I still think we've got more of a wisdom than a concept. But anyway, he continues. A couple of years ago, I am playing blackjack with two of my friends on a riverboat with a dealer that we all know from past visits. Very nice guy. Personable and a lot of laughs. Only one table available, and we sit down with a bunch of ploppies. That's a P-L-O-P-P-I-E-S, and I will digress once again, because I'm going to assume that some of you don't know the term ploppies. I normally hear this from advantage players, sometimes just from very skilled, very capable gamblers. 
a ploppy, particularly in blackjack, a ploppy is someone who doesn't know how to play basic strategy or knows but ignores it when it suits them. A lot of times they put money on the side bet and are more interested in winning a hard-to-win side bet than an easier-to-win blackjack bet. They don't know the core concepts. They don't know the fundamentals of good casino gambling. They just plop down one chip, one chip, one chip, one chip, and generally they always lose. So it's a derogative term. It's a dismissive term. It's a derisive term. It's kind of an insult that you say about people behind their back. You can't win making flat bets and ploppies are flat betters. So Now we're up to speed on the terms and conditions, I guess. The vocabulary, that's a better word, the vocabulary. So he continues. He and his crew are consistently losing and just can't get any traction. And during one particular hand, the dealer dealt the cards and gave himself an ace. He did not ask anyone if they wanted insurance, which would be standard procedure, by the way. Instead, he immediately checked the down card in the mirror and exclaimed to the table, okay, nobody wants insurance. And he continues with the hand. He does this a number of times. Even throws in the, all right, you'll need insurance on this one, my note. In other words, he's checked, he's seen the blackjack, and he's telling you, make the insurance bet so that you can win. And the ploppies were oblivious. But AR and his crew, they knew what he was doing. On another hand, my friend splits and busts on the first hand, giving all the proper hand signals. And he laughs and he says, wish that was on the other hand, ha ha ha. And the dealer says, okay. And he takes the card from the first hand and moves it to the second hand. And this went on for another hour or so. And the only thing AR can figure is that this is something that coming out of COVID, the surveillance room was understaffed, or this was the dealer's last day of work. And then he notes, you can do anything you want on your last day of work. In any event, this guy was committing some jail time offenses by blatantly cheating. Even though we were playing basic strategy and the dealer was cheating for us, we finally lost the rest of our buy-in and went home losers. AR says, so my core concept is this. You can follow the concepts and play basic strategy 100% and even cheat at the game, but sometimes the cards are just the cards. And he notes that he never saw that dealer again. And you can certainly understand why. I I have a story or two. I know I've shared the one about New Year's Eve. I have a story or two about dealers cheating a little to help a player out, coloring outside the lines just a little bit, if you will, falling on the crook side of that hero and crook dilemma that we often talk about, but I've never seen anything this blatant. I've never seen anything as blatant as telling you when there is or is not a blackjack. I've never seen anything as blatant as just moving a card where it's not supposed to be on the board. I can understand why that dealer was never seen again. Great story, great point of view, Yeah, sometimes I suspect, even if you cheat, that is very true. The cards are just the cards. And that also means that if somebody before you plays wrong, if they don't do the book play, it doesn't have anything to do with you at all. The cards are just the cards. Really, really, really appreciate AR contributing that story. I'd have liked to have been at that table and seen that. I'd like to have seen the people that were oblivious to what's going on while everybody else understood. Great story. Still think it's a wisdom, but a great story. I think that catches us up with the squad. I think it does. I think we we know what's been going on with the squad. I think we've covered that. What is our battle plan? Pretty straightforward. Almost old school. We are going to do a core concept segment and continue to spell concepts with a K, of course. It's not surprising, I don't think. I don't find it surprising. Let me say it that way, that I understand our squad better now than I did at episode 5 or even episode 25. 
I've realized something really important about all of you and myself, and I'm going to use the course concept segment to explore what I've learned and some things I think you should have heard from me perhaps a bit sooner. And so apologies. I am still learning to be human. I sometimes don't know things until all of you teach me what I don't know. And I think we've missed a couple things, and I'm going to try to correct that. After that, we are going to do a moment of casino wisdom and look at the results of my application of a couple of casino wisdoms. We will finish up in the virtual VIP lounge to wrap up the month of March with a look at two weeks of gambling and to review the full results for the month. You know, <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. Sorry, T-Rex. I'm calling an audible. I'm going to do results in a results segment. I'm going to save the virtual VIP lounge. I suspect I'm going to need a sip or two after the results segment, so we will have some sips and a story about how Mrs. TRG and I ended up in Atlantic City for the very first time, and we'll do that in the virtual VIP lounge. Not sure why I thought of that story, but it fits well with what I want to talk about in the core concepts segment, I think. I just don't think I want to end it with the results segment, so that's the battle plan. Concepts. Wisdoms. Results. Virtual VIP lounge. Okay, that's it. Nothing to do but get after it at this point. Core concepts are up next. The core concepts of casino combat are well-documented, fundamental ideas for beating the game of casino gambling. There's a blog post about it run it all down in details. I have done the boot camp playlist on our YouTube channel where I've gone through the core concepts and taught each one in some cases, broken them out. Even single core concepts have been broken out into two or three short little 10 to 15 minute lessons. I try to remove as many of the dad jokes as I can. I try to take as much of the storytelling out as I can. I try to make it like a lecture series. I tried to make that like an educational series. This is what you should know after I finish. Now in 10 or 15 minutes, I've finished it. So if you need to learn, and you do need to learn, so let me say that a different way. If you have not yet learned the core concepts, in my opinion, you should learn the core concepts if you want to be successful at casino gambling. And there are a variety of ways that I provided to do that. And I've provided them in simple ways that don't mean you have to go back and listen to the first 10 episodes to learn the core concepts. But if you listen to the first 10 episodes, you'll get a very good fundamental lesson in the casino, in the core concepts themselves. You'll get that information, but I want you to be able to have it without having to listen back through, what, 10 hours? I've done it for you in 90 minutes on the YouTube channel. I've done it for you in a blog post that you can probably read in less than 10 minutes. So that information is all there. If you are trying to play to win at any meaningful level, you need to not only know these, you need to be able to explain them to other people. If my journey with all of you has taught me anything, it's that teaching others is the final step to mastery, or it's the next step to mastery, and I haven't learned the final step yet, but I've had many people tell me many times that to become an expert, to become truly a master of anything, Besides just time on task, you need to teach it to someone else. And that means that if you are going to master the core concepts, you should be able to sit down and write them out. In your words, not in mine. You should be able to lay out and explain the ideas to someone, particularly someone who has no interest. 
You know, sit down a smart uncle. Sit down a smart 22-year-old that's good at math. Sit down someone that has no interest in this at all and try to explain it to them and answer their questions. And you will be many, many steps closer to having success. And I'm not going to talk about one specific concept today, but rather the concepts themselves, my journey to discovering them, and I'm not going to say inventing. Others have discovered these as well. These are like time-tested truths that if you don't know somebody to teach them to you, you can go out and discover for yourself. So I didn't invent any of this. I invented the words that I put on the ideas, but the ideas themselves are timeless. And I want to address the fact that sometimes a cheat code may cause you to go to do too much too fast. That's the good way to say that. Sometimes a cheat code may cause you to do too much too fast. So I want to talk about the baby steps. I want to talk about some portions of my life that maybe I fast forwarded through way too much for you. I'm really starting to have some concerns in this regard. Between my first visit to Las Vegas and my second visit to Las Vegas, there was three years. Three years of doing nothing other than reading books and having thoughts. Probably another three years before we hit Vegas again, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened as part of that when we get to the virtual VIP lounge, because we hit Atlantic City fairly quickly after that. I had a few solo trips to Vegas, and I proved I could count cards and learned why it made no sense to count cards. We had small children. Years would go by with no gambling at all, or in a couple cases, I'd get sent someplace on a work assignment for a client, and I'd say to them, hey, you're paying the airfare. I'm willing to go out a day early and stop in Las Vegas to save you the $200 on the airfare. If that's what you'd like to do, I'll take care of my lodging. And I'd get through Vegas for 24 hours. But often there were years with no gambling at all. Just reading books, studying, practicing with a deck of cards, looking at ideas on paper, testing them and having them fail. Eventually, after a lot of years of that, after a lot of years of maybe having four, five, six days in Las Vegas with my wife while the kids were at camp or something like that, eventually I reached a point where I was able to go two hours, often as often as once a week, and play blackjack and do some other gambling and start to see what would work and what wouldn't and to start to understand how reward systems worked really for the very first time. After about two and a half decades, after about 25 years, I was finally able to play when I wanted. There was finally a casino close enough to my home that I could play virtually any time I wanted to play. And I met Gabriel, and I was able to share ideas with someone and compare results and see how they understood reward systems and see how they understood what was going on. That's a long journey that I fast-forwarded through. Yeah, and sometimes we do flashbacks, and I pull little nuggets and tidbits and fun stories out of that whole big block of time. But that's a big block of time that we just went whoop, right through as if it had never happened because there was a pandemic, and I was bored, and I had a crazy idea. In the midst of that crazy idea, and as things changed in my life, I started really growing a bankroll for the first time since I didn't have children to support. And I was able to fully implement all of my ideas from all of those decades. I was able to play for a profit every day and I'm doing well with that. But think about what was learned during all of those little baby steps to get where I am today. We have, look, trust me, if there's a mistake to be made in gambling, 
I've probably made it. I've taken a bankroll too small and then gotten stuck and then been someplace and tried to pull money out of ATMs. I've taken cash advances on credit cards that I shouldn't have taken. I've gambled after having too much to drink and lost money I shouldn't have lost. I've gone on amazing winning streaks and then didn't know when to stop and finished up with a third of what I started with. If there's a dumb thing you can do while gambling, I've done it and I've experienced the negative emotions and I've understood them and I've learned to control them. And that came from experience. That came from time. That came from practice. I've told you about some of those negative things. I told you about ending a vacation at the Mirage, winning every other hand, but still losing money I probably really couldn't afford to lose. I've talked about that plane ride home and saying I'm never doing this again until I find something better than what I read in those stupid books. That was an important baby step. It's a baby step I'd like to help all of you skip, but that was an important baby step. That was the revelation in ways of... I can't keep doing this this way. Even though this is the only time I've done this in the last year or 18 months, I can't do that. I can't sit there, make a bet, win it, double the bet, because that's what a book told me to do, not the basic strategy book, a book about gambling wagering, not basic strategy. But the book said, if you win, double your bet. If you win again, put the same amount again, don't double it you got to win three hands in a row to make any money that way. And if you win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one, you lose a lot of money. I've told you about that. I've told you about that baby step. But it's easy, I think, to forget that. I think it's easy when you're listening to me. Forget that all that happened. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's easy to kind of lose the negative things in the positive things I'm telling you that I'm doing right now. The story about the story. To, in this case, get to the point. That's what we did. This may not be true for all teachers, all disciplines, all combat cultures, but in combat sports, for instance, in amateur wrestling or judo or some of the other things where choking someone out is a way of winning, you don't teach someone to choke someone out until they are willing to be choked out themselves first, and you don't teach someone you don't know as the teacher will use the technique properly. In combat sports, we force the baby steps by not giving the information until, as masters, we know someone is ready. Likewise, as I understand more aggressive martial arts, some forms I have studied but not practiced, you don't teach death strikes until you're sure the student won't use them unless forced to. Again, baby steps until the student is ready. And in some ways, I've actually taught equally, right? I haven't applied that because there's no real way to apply that. I've taught equally with no filter for who is and is not ready. There are without a doubt some experts out there who hear what I consider PhD level lessons and they think, well, of course, that's obvious. And there are others who perhaps really are not ready for the lesson that the PhD level person blows off. They weren't ready to hear the PhD stuff. But I have no way to enforce baby steps. I have no way to make that happen. And maybe that's on me. Maybe I should have locked some of this stuff up. Maybe I should have made some of you take a test to prove to me that you were ready for the extra content. That'd be a really smart thing if I was doing this all from the beginning. I didn't. I've put the information out there. And from feedback I'm getting from a variety of people, 
I think maybe some baby steps are in order, and I didn't teach that as well as I should have. I'm still learning to be human. Way back in episode one, I talk about how I would start doing casino combat as a, a side hustle. The steps that I would take to assemble a bankroll, select a brand, position myself to quickly get tier status. It was good stuff. It was on point. The right way to start if you were starting... But again, no baby steps. I laid out the whole plan for you. You didn't have to figure it out. You didn't have to make mistakes. You didn't have to channel those emotional controls. You didn't have to walk away from a problem that you didn't create and think your way through it. You just had to do my steps. If you put together the bankroll and you did it that way, you'd quickly reach the high tiers, right? You'd go from being beginner belt to being five steps higher belt. You'd go from not knowing how to choke somebody out to knowing how to choke somebody out, boom, 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 almost just listening to that lesson if you understand the metaphor. With all the backstory out of the way, with the table set, I wanted to talk about how I actually would coach someone who was just starting to do this. If I was going to take on an apprentice, if I was going to have a casino combat Padawan learner, how would I teach this? What would I do? And I've been thinking about this a lot as I talk, as I message with a variety of you as you're starting and sharing your successes and failures. How would I really do this? And I guess I think I would do it this way. Once we had a bankroll sorted, once we had wagers selected, once the apprentice could tell me the core concepts in their own words and effectively answer my questions, notice all the baby steps before the casino. Notice there's no casino involved yet. But once that was all done, then maybe we'll go to the casino. I'm not taking an apprentice who has heard the core concepts to a casino. I'm taking an apprentice who can teach the core concepts to a casino. If you can't teach the core concepts, if you can't sit down and write out the lessons to teach someone else without help from me, I would say you're not ready yet. You haven't completed those baby steps. Do that. Make sure you can do that. And if you think it's easy, cool. If you think it's easy, that's great. Prove to yourself, if it's easy, it shouldn't take long. Prove it to yourself. Take a piece of paper, open up a word processor, and write two pages on what the core concepts are. Put a header for each one, bullet point each one, and write the paragraph that explains it. And then go on my blog post on the website. It's one of the first ones. It's right there with the vocabulary. Go to the website, find the blog post, and grade yourself. See how well you did. If you can't teach the core concepts, you're not ready to go to the casino. Minimum. But once we get past those few baby steps, we're ready to go to the casino. Even one a couple hours away. Honestly, two hours away would probably be great. We sort out the apprentice's organizational tool. Got to have an organization tool. You're welcome to, to, to rebut that. You're welcome to tell me why you think that's wrong. But I, I'm going to need to be convinced that you do not need a casino organizational tool. And that doesn't mean it has to be a vest. It could be a crossbody bag. It could be a purse. It could be cargo pants. It could be whatever. But me and the apprentice would get the apprentice's casino organization right. Where does the bankroll go? Where does the spending money go? Where does the player card and ID go? What other? Th- where is the chips going to go when you earn them and you're moving from place to place? What other things do you need? Do you need a pen? Do you need a notepad? 
What other things do you need? I, I'm going to have to do it again. I did it a while, while way, way, way back. Or maybe I'm going to do a video, and I'm going to go through the vest, and I'm going to show you all the stuff I have added. You need to figure out what your casino toolkit needs to be. You need a way to organize it, and my apprentice and I would do that. And as we are doing that, as we are sorting out the casino organization process, I get to see everything the apprentice will be carrying into the casino. And that will include debit cards and credit cards, and I would know the balance of all those cards. And my first assignment would be, my first assignment to my apprentice, my first assignment to the Casino Combat Padawan Learner is go in alone, get a player's card, find a bar, have a seat, Order an alcoholic drink. Yes, that's part of the lesson. Pay for the drink. Tip for the drink. Consume the drink. And come back for evaluation. And the evaluation involves emptying all pockets. Confirming that the cash on hand is missing the money for the drink. And only the money for the drink. And that's the only money that's missing. And all debit card and credit card balances are checked and confirmed as unchanged. You can't do this. You can't do casino combat. If you can't be in a casino, put a small amount of alcohol in your system and not gamble. Not just say, oh, what the heck, and throw 10 bucks into a video poker machine on the bar top. Not just play one slot machine since you know my slot tactics and you've read my ebook. Not gamble. To be a place where you can gamble, have some alcohol, and keep control of yourself and not gamble when gambling is available. That's the first best skill. And failing is fine. Lots of people have failed that test. An apprentice can fail that test. Especially if they didn't know going in what was being tested for. If I give you the assignment and you walk in and you don't know that I'm testing to prove that you have the control to not gamble, that's probably, uh, that's probably a pretty easy thing to try and fail. Especially if you don't have this episode as a spoiler, right? If you have this episode as a spoiler and then I take you on as apprentice, well, then you know. But I bet that for a lot of people going in blind, that's a tough test to pass. It's tough not to just say, what the heck, I'm throw five bucks in and see how it goes. So we would test that way. We would test for that control. Failure's fine, as I said. It's part of learning. We would just, if in this theoretical apprentice situation, we would just wait a month. Yep, I'd make the apprentice wait a whole month before they went to the casino to try again. A whole month to think about the mistakes and think about the parallels I'm creating there for my apprentice. I'm creating that restriction on the availability of gambling that I had because I couldn't just pop to Las Vegas anytime I wanted to and gamble. I couldn't just pop to Atlantic City anytime I wanted to and gamble. So I would have times after success or failure with nothing to do as it related to gambling. I, I couldn't always be casinoing back then. It wasn't an option, I, if, particularly if the apprentice failed. I think fail or succeed, but either way, I'd, I'd put time between it. I'd put time to think and learn and grow. Once that baby step's complete, once the apprentice can walk in, get a player's card, buy a drink, pay for the drink, tip for the drink, and walk out without gambling, excellent. The next step would be go in. Again, a two-hour drive would be perfect. Uh, having to drive two hours, execute this, and then leave would be absolutely perfect because the next step is walk in with your bankroll, find a table, buy in, win two units, units or lose four units and walk out the door and don't come back for a week minimum walk in win two lose four and walk out and don't go back 
And I would stay at this baby step for a while, maybe several months. One visit, no more than, no more often than once a week. Winning two units or losing four. If you think that's easy, try it. Try having 10 units for your buy-in times three for three buy-ins in your pocket. That's 30 units, losing four. Having 26 left, having 26 units left out of 30, you've lost four. You've just barely lost more than 10% and walk out. Try that. That's not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for anybody in my opinion. When I was starting out and playing in Las Vegas, playing for low stakes that were not going to get me comped, this is often how we played as, played as a couple. Sit down, win or lose just a few chips, and leave. Do some sightseeing, see an attraction, go to the pool, and then play a little more somewhere else. It didn't matter where we played, and it didn't matter how long we were not getting comped. We were 2 and $4 players in a $25 to $100 world. The next step for my apprentice would be start trying to extend a win by one unit after winning two units, right? So if you win two, now try to extend the win using just one unit. And in a perfect world, this would be something like we'd start with a $15 unit size. So you've won two units, you've won $30, but we would do this with a $5 table. So then you could take the 15 and drop back to a $5 unit size at the same table. So win 30, use 15 in $5 units and try to increase the win if possible, but walk away with $15 unless something really weird happens on the blackjack table. We'll sit those to the side for now. Those could happen. They're lessons in and of themselves. But see, that would work great, right? Because we've won 30, we drop to a $5 unit size. The first bet in TRG4 is a one unit wager, $5. If you win it, you have $5. If you win it again, you have another $5 and you take two of that $5 and you make a $7 wager and we're on the progressive side of things. And if we're doing TRG4 and you lose the first bet of $5, the next bet is $10. And if you win that, we once again have $5 and we've extended our win. And when we run out of the $15, the three, five, the three units of $5 wagers, when that's gone, then we leave once again. Proving the ability to have the discipline to try to extend the win. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. $15 is the win. But try to extend and see how we can do with that. But never go back in to what's being won and accumulated. After all those baby steps have been completed, completed successfully, completed multiple times, then we would start to increase the positive and negative exit points. We'd go to instead of up two or down four, we'd go up three, down five. Until eventually it kind of becomes six up or five down, then 10 up or eight down, gradually widening the positive and negatives until we flip them and we are trying to win more than we are willing to lose. Notice there's no meta martingale yet. No meta martingale at all. We are just going in and trying to win the table Win a small amount or lose a small amount, just like our core concepts say, and walk away and not worry about the table and not worry about the day. Try to win the longer time period, probably not months for our apprentice. Our fictional Padawan, our fictional apprentice, probably is going to be playing for the six months, playing for the year to begin with, and that's an appropriate baby step level. Small amounts of play for small wins, 
accepting there will be small losses, getting into the process enough to maybe start to get some comps, depending on the level we're playing at, and no Meta Martingale. Just accept the chop, get used to the chop, see how it goes. Once success is accomplished at a level of win 10 or lose 8, once success has started to happen, yes, there will be losses, but ideally the wins over time are more than the losses. That's what the skill will be we're trying to teach. The next step is to win the bankroll to use a Meta Martingale while putting aside money for taxes and to pay some bills. That's not easy. That's tough. You're going to think you're doing great, and then it's going to fall apart, and you're going to have to start over, just like I had to for years and years and years and years. Those are the way I would make an apprentice do the baby step. I'm realizing that, wow, take three. Because really, look at this. I lived that. I lived that right in front of you. I've said over and over and over that this is reality podcasting. I give you a real decent look at my somewhat edited real life. You watched me go through that. You watched me go through as part of the podcast, not having the money to do a Meta Martingale, and slowly over time winning the money to expand the bankroll to include Mrs. TRG gambling, not only without the money in my pocket, being able to go into a casino fully on her own, three buy-ins or more, all set up. All that money was won. That's not money that was earned at one of our jobs. Her bankroll, which is part of our bankroll, but is separate from my bankroll, is all money won. The money to do the Meta Martingale was all money won. And you heard it all. You heard me go through the process until just about a year ago, I had finally put that all together and had the Meta Martingale bankroll, which is a 10-unit buy-in, a 20-unit buy-in to bet double, and a 40-unit buy-in. It's a 70-unit total for the day buy-in at the smallest unit size because we're going up at each tier. We're going up twice as big on the actual unit size. And I was able to put away three or more of those days to failure, which leads to a fair amount of success as we've seen in the run since last March, in the run of basically a year. But in reflection, in watching other people do this, I'm realizing that process, that process of having to win a big enough bankroll I think was a very important one. Having enough disposable income to just fund the Meta Martingale from the jump and replace it as needed is great. That's a wonderful thing if you can do that. If you have the disposable income to just go, or the small table sizes, right? I guess if you have a $5 table size, it's easy to somewhat have the disposable income to just go, boom, I'm funded for Meta Martingale. And if it screws up, I'm just going to go to the ATM and take more, and that's fine. I don't care. That's a wonderful thing. But I'm not sure it teaches the discipline needed. I'd make this fictional fictional apprentice do things the old-fashioned way. I'd make them earn it. This road is long. It is my intent to shorten it for you and provide companions and advisors. I've tried to be a trail guide. I've tried to create other trail guides. A 30-year journey reduced to a two-year journey would be a tremendous cheat code. A real head start to success. I'm increasingly convinced that a 30-year journey and the lessons learned 
cannot be reduced to a 120-hour journey. That's roughly the length of all the podcast episodes if you listen to them back-to-back, approximately. Which is to say, I don't think you can listen to each episode once, take no notes, do no practice, put together a pile of cash, and walk in and execute all of this at a high level. Some of you maybe can. If you can, I'd love to hear about it. But the people I hear from that have the most success are finding this well into their journey. You know, the the gentleman who was a professional card counter, a professionally trained card counter with all the brains and discipline that goes into that gets banned from counting cards in big chunks of the United States and then finds Casino Combat and then realizes that a lot of it's what he already knows and has been doing and it has a few good ideas he can incorporate into his Baccarat play because that's all he's allowed to play and card counting doesn't matter, that person has already learned a lot of the lessons. I don't think you can listen to me, only listen to me, not be able to write the core concepts, not have some mem- some wisdoms memorized and understood, not having done any of it and just walk in and necessarily instantly execute at a very high level and manage all the things that have to be managed. It would take a really impressive person to, to do that. And I, I hope that anyone listening that can do that would, 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 would write and let me know. I certainly want to hear about that success. But the more I think about how I would teach someone, the more I'm convinced that if you are just starting out, you should start slow and build discipline. I mean, who knows? It took me almost three years to learn that lesson from all of you because you shared your feedback. And maybe if we keep learning together, we will find a way to teach all of this without starting slow. It's possible. We're a smart group. But what I'm learning from all of you is that while we can mark the path, we can make the trail easier, we can note where the dangers are, We can put some people with you who can do what I'm talking about doing. I can be available, but it's probably not a one-day road. It is probably not a five-day road. Listen to TRG for four days. Got it. Go. No, I think you need to start slow. When I recorded episode one, I didn't consider myself a professional gambler. I didn't tell people I was a professional gambler. That'd be a ridiculous thing to tell people. Today, I do. And I accept the fact that some people think it's ridiculous and I don't particularly care. I know it's true. So I do say that. Some of that that claiming I'm, I'm professional is because I took the last step and started teaching others. May I suggest that you are not being fair to yourself to go from listener, to try to go from listener to professional gambler in just a few weeks. If I've created that belief in you, I have not been fair to you. My advice to many of you who have written to me has been slow down and master the basics. Thank you for teaching me how to do a better job of teaching others. I seem to recall a moment of casino wisdom is up next. So let's do that. Casino wisdom start with knowledge or information about how casinos operate or how players behave in a casino and then folds in or combines in with that knowledge or information actions to be taken in specific situations. And today I want to look at casino wisdom number 30, which teaches us if you are a regular in a casino, the casino's employees are not your employees, they are your co-workers. That was kind of a revelation to me uh, not that long ago. 
and Casino Wisdom number 86, which teaches us have allies, have people on your side. And I want to talk a bit today about those and then show you what a day at my local casino looks like sometimes as a result of the application of those two wisdoms over time. Now, last fall, and I know I talked about this, I realized that Gabriel does a better job of creating allies than I do. And I had that epiphany moment just a little bit after that, and I learned Casino Wisdom number 30, and I learned that I need to see the people that are there every day with me as my co-workers, not as people that are just there doing their job. We are doing our job together. And I've worked really hard to act on both of those realizations, to take actions to apply these wisdoms. And I want to talk about those actions, but admittedly, I guess we are back to heroes and crooks again in some of the application of this. Mitch is going to come after me again. Um, look, T-Rex, edit this out if I get mean. I'm not going to try to be mean. If I do, just chop this part out, T-Rex. You always do that well. But I think it's time to let Mitch have his minute. Let's see if I can do this. Let's let Mitch have his minute. Mitch is a regular listener, a frequent emailer, a diligent emailer, an emailer who won't take thanks, don't need to send any more of those things kind of emailer. Mitch takes very seriously the hate it part of love it, hate it, it don't matter. He's very, very serious about the hate it part. Mitch has some very strong opinions against any and all behaviors that might be considered even the slightly bit crookish. And I realize I'm kind of inventing a word there, but Mitch is eager to point those out to me in detail in almost every episode. Mitch even re-listens to find things that I shouldn't have done. Mitch will, without a doubt, find a variety of dark triangle personality traits in what I'm about to talk about. On the Mitch scale, some of what I'm going to describe is psychotic or sociopathic or psychopathic. He's a lot of different words. There. If T-Rex keeps that in, then Mitch, I've mentioned you. And unlike Mitch, some of you will hear this and say, sure, you had to figure that out? I do that all the time. Some of you are going to hear this and say, oh... That's how things work for me. I didn't realize why. And some of you are going to say, wow, I didn't think of any of that. So anyway, I tried to take some of Gabriel's basics. And these are very solid basics. And honestly, they're basics that in a lot of ways, in a normal job, I probably would have applied. But I tried to take some of Gabriel's basics and do a better job of doing my job. Not just knowing people's names at the casino, but but paying attention and using them regularly in conversation. I paid more attention to what my coworkers share about their lives and ask about those things from time to time. As I said, those are things I probably would just instinctively do in social situations, probably instinctively do in situations where I was working with someone regularly, but I needed that revelation to, and that look at how Gabriel does things so much better than I do to realize I needed some of you needed to do that. If your response is, of course, why wouldn't you do that? Good for you. I'll be honest, this just hasn't been me in in a casino situation. That's not my lens until recently. I mean, I don't try to remember the name of the person who rings up my purchases at a big box store or the gas station when I buy a bottle of water. Some of you probably do. Regardless, I changed. Mitch will tell me I manipulate, that by doing that, Mitch will tell me, I manipulated people for my own advantage. 
and I shouldn't manipulate people. Okay, Mitch got two minutes. Also, using Casino Wisdom number 30 as a guide, I bought a bunch of $2 holiday lottery tickets. And it was a huge hit. I went, as I was going through the casino, I was as I was going through my normal day and applying the idea that these were my co-workers, I gave out the lottery cards as gifts to people, to casino employees, to other people that work at the same casino with me. And if they were people, it's the bartender, it's the, it's the cocktail waitress, right? I would give them their normal tip, and then I would hand them one of the $2 scratch-off lottery tickets, and I would say, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever greeting seemed appropriate in the moment. What a weirdness that we have to worry about that. Um, and then I also learned something about myself. I tipped, I, I said Merry Christmas and gave us $2 scratch-off lottery ticket to the guy cleaning up the parking garage. I, I, I gave one to the people that hand out the big box gift cards on Thursday afternoon. Just walked right down the line and said, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I gave them to some pit bosses. Pit bosses don't normally get gifts or tips. And it wasn't a tip. It wasn't cash. It was a gift. So they were allowed to ex- accept it. So I gave them to a lot of pit bosses. I, I spread them around. I tried to be generous. I tried to pay attention over the course of about a week and not give the same person more than one. I had a number of people tell me that they won because of the, of the lottery ticket that I that I gave them. And so it's amazing now, right? If that guy cleaning up the garage is cleaning up the garage when I pull in and park, and I don't necessarily feel good about this, and maybe that means Mitch is right, but the guy will sprint 10, 15 yards to open a door for me, which he does not need to do. That is not part of his responsibilities at all. But it created a lot of goodwill, and it didn't cost me very much money. And I did treat it as one of the expenses. So that's part of the reason I didn't do as well as I might have liked back in December, because I spent part of the little bit that I had won on buying these lottery tickets. But it was money well spent. People really appreciated it, enjoyed it. Several weeks ago now, maybe more like a month, I went into my bank to do some business, and I was the only person coming into the bank, and two of the tellers were chatting as I walked up, and... They were saying, well, what do we do with this? Why did why did corporate send this to us? What are we supposed to do with these bills? These can't go in the drawer. And as I was walking up, I came to understand that somehow, unexpectedly, they had got a brick of $2 bills. And it didn't, in their inventory system, go anywhere. They were just going to throw it back in the vault because they didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't ask for it. They didn't need it. They didn't have a place for it to go. And so when I got to the counter, I said, am I to understand that you have a whole bunch of $2 bills you don't want? Because the young squire had told me about this uh, blogger, this YouTube star that had used $2 bills to tip and people really appreciated and thought it was unique and fun and special and something they wanted to save and keep. And I said, I'll just, I'll just give you cash for the $2. And they're like, you want this whole stack of $2 bills? And I said, sure. And so I gave them some money and they gave me the $2 bills and I added them to the stuff that I take to and from the casino with me. And I just always keep, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten, two dollar bills in with the rest of my bankroll money. And I don't tip every waitress every day with a two dollar bill. If someone gives me a water and I haven't seen them in a while, I'll tip them two bucks, which is more than I usually tip for a bottle of water. Those bottles are pretty small. If in two hours I order a bourbon or a Canadian whiskey and they bring me that again, I'm not necessarily tipping with a two dollar bill again. And I'm looking forward to doing some of that in Atlantic City or Las Vegas. But once again, 
I tried to treat people differently. And admittedly, I tried to treat people differently because I wanted to have allies. Because I wanted to treat them as co-workers, not as employees, certainly. I wanted to change my lens on how I interacted, but I wanted to build allies. And that is a manipulative thing. If you want to say that's a crook thing, how dare you try to be nice to people to manipulate them to be nice to you? If you want to take the Mitch take on things, I guess I can't tell you you're wrong. I'd prefer you not tell me I'm a sociopath for doing it, but if that's your take, that's your take. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. So last week, I kind of saw this all come into focus. I saw the results of this, kind of without realizing it, Early in the week, I noticed that dealers... Now, let me tell you a little bit about the casino first. Let me set the stage. Let, let, me, let me give you a little of the backstory. At my local casino, there are two pits that are 3-2 to two blackjack. They are always $25 minimums. There's usually one at the very far end that's a $50 minimum. You may enter a game after some cards have been dealt. That's called mid-shoe entry. But whether players are playing or not playing... If you enter mid-shoe, you are not allowed to wager more than $100. And the reason for this is, to provide some education and context, this is the one of the ways the house protects the game against a card counter. Because there was a brilliant blackjack card counter and theoretician, a guy who thought and wrote a lot about blackjack back in the 70s and 80s and his last name was Wong W-O-N-G and he invented a technique called Wonging W-O-N-G-I-N-G into a blackjack game and the technique goes like this you watch the cards shuffled you watch the cards played you count the cards you do a card counting thing, standard technique. I've explained it before. It's easily found online. You do pluses and minuses and divide by the number of decks remaining, and that gives you a true count. And when the true count is a very high, positive number, you want to bet a lot. So Mr. Wong realized that since he knew how to count cards, he could count cards, and then only when there was a situation that he could take advantage of then he would put money at risk. You might have seen a similar thing in the movie 21, where a series of people would count and then have a signal to let the big money player show up and just make a few big money bets in a high player advantage environment, collect some money, and leave. Same idea. So this casino, where I spend most of my time when I'm in town, won't let you bet more than $100 if you're just a, a person who sits down you got to wait for the cards to be shuffled, which is to say you've got to wait for the count to be reset so that you can't back count the deck and only take advantage of things. So I started noticing, before I tell you a really great story about a really great day, I started noticing that if I sat down at a table where some of the cards were already gone, the dealers would just shuffle and give me fresh cards without even asking. The normal procedure at this casino is that if I wanted that courtesy, I would ask then the dealer would ask the pit boss, and if the pit boss wanted to grant me an abnormal courtesy, an unusual courtesy, a courtesy they did not have to extend, then the cards would be removed from the shoe, placed in the shuffler, and fresh cards would be provided. I noticed that a lot of these dealers, again, dealers that I see every day and that deal to me at least once or twice a week, they just extended the courtesy without even asking without even thinking about whether they should consult with someone or not. 
kind of really a, an interesting, neat kind of courtesy for them to extend to me. The other thing that I noticed happened is I was in a weird situation, started with fresh cards, got maybe six, eight, ten hands in, and the dealer rotated out to go on break. That's not unusual. Card gets burned when that happens. That's not unusual. Just a few short hands later, new pit boss comes up, explains to the dealer that somebody called in sick, and she's the only dealer they have left that has three-card poker or Mississippi stud or one of the carnival games, so she's going to have to come off this table and go to that table, and so-and-so is being sent over. And then seeing that I'm the only table player at the table, he says to her, when Ronnie comes over, tell him TRG controls the burn card. TRG, if you don't want a card burned, that we, we're not trying to do this to mess with you. So if you don't want a card burned when he comes over here, you don't have to have another card burned. And if you do want a card burned at any time during this shoe, you just tell Ronnie to burn a card. And if you need to burn two or three, you go ahead. That's an uncommon level of courtesy to be extended to me. That's a difference. And to show you how different that is, and he wouldn't remember it, like four years ago, the same the same pit boss refused to shuffle the cards when there were about three hands left and wanted to force myself and a couple other players to play the hands, even though we were all standing there with thousands of dollars in chips and refusing to play until the cards were gone. Maybe he had a bad day. I don't know. But I appreciate the fact that there this is an unusual courtesy to be extended to a player, and I really appreciate it. So let me get to the really fun part of this. The really fun, everything went right kind of hour or two in the casino. We had all the right people in the right pit at the right time. Captain Courageous is the pit boss. If you don't recall, Captain Courageous somewhat jokingly, somewhat seriously, just kind of said... If I need to do some of the transactions for him, as long as I tell him after the fact, he appreciates it. He doesn't care. So sometimes I'll color up chips for people. They'll, they'll need two black chips. And I'll just say, go ahead and send them. And then the dealer looks at me and I just say really loud, hey, Captain Courageous, I'm sending two black. And he'll say, that's fine. Just tell me when I get there in a little bit. And I keep track of it. I know his job from the player's side. I don't know his job from his side. I'm not trying to say that. But I understand the things he needs from the dealer for the most part at the table, and I can relay those. And so he grants me some leeway. He kind of lets me do some of the easy things for him. It makes his job easier. So I walk up. There's about more than half the, the shoe left. Someone has walked away because things weren't going well or because they want a lot of money, but the dealer is standing there with just some cards played, and the normal procedure would be, as I said, that I would have to ask, then he would have to ask Captain Courageous, then Captain Courageous would give permission, then it would happen. And I was going to buy in, I'm, I'm going to tell you this a little bit, I'm going to tell you this more in a future episode, I've been buying in with the Tier 1 and the Tier 2 buy-in at the same time for reasons yet to be revealed, and so I'm going to buy in and I'm going to want some black chips and some green chips. And once again, what's the normal procedure for black chips? I ask for them. The dealer puts them out on the table, then asks permission from the pit boss to give me the black chips. And then once given permission, he passes over the black chips. Now, Captain Courageous is four or five tables down and he's dealing with something, not something hugely, like, 
there was no big payoff going out. He was just doing his job several, several, several tables down. And so I just walk up the table and I say, Hey, Captain Courageous, we're about three decks in here on this shoe. I'm going to have John break the shoe. And once he breaks the shoe, I'm going to buy in for blah, blah, blah dollars. And I'm going to have him give me some black chips. I'm going to have three black out. And he goes, okay, go ahead. And it's a dealer, John, who I don't know well, looks at me and goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, you heard him. He said, go ahead. He's like, you can do that? I said, well, apparently I can. I said, I thought it was a joke at first, but I'm just trying to make things easier on him. He goes, well, thanks. You made it easier on all of us. You handled all of it. Very good. He goes, I'm going to charge you a dollar for for, uh, breaking the deck, though. And I said, okay. And I added one dollar to my buy-in. And once again, I'm making allies, right? This This is a great thing. This is a very kind of cool thing to do kind of a cool thing to, to, to be part of. A little bit later, waitress stops by. She wants to make sure I don't want to drink. And I'm good. I don't. I'm, I'm just starting to play. We're just going to play some and we'll worry about whether I want to have a drink later, depending on how things go. And eventually I hit, hit kind of a, a positive exit point, but not enough to go home. And I go up to the bar and the bar's a little bit busy. And when the bar's a little bit busy, I try not to ask for a TRG teeny. Because TRG teenies take couple minutes to make. There's several steps, a lot more than just pulling a beer or pouring a shot. So I try not to order that when the bar is busy as a courtesy to my coworkers. And I sit down and there are several people in line waiting to get served. And bartender Terry just starts making my, my TRG teeny without me even asking. And I wouldn't have. I'd have settled for something else. But she just starts automatically making my TRG teeny. She skips everybody else. Brings my drink over, brings me a, a, a bottle of water. Hard not to appreciate that. Those are really good drinks. I really do enjoy those. So I go back to playing some blackjack. I've now taken my break. I've, I've gotten a beverage. I've, I've looked at the Buddha statue. But other people are playing. So I'm not going to ask to break the shoe. That would be really rude. They're in the middle of something. So I sit down. I ask them if they want me to wait. And they say no. And I, I know the dealer. And I say... So I give her my chips that I need broken down, and I tell her that uh, I'm, I'm going to be betting, even though I'm coming in mid-shoe, I'm going to be betting more than $100. Maybe. Maybe not, but maybe. And I want to clear that up before we start. And she says, okay, well, I, I got to get Captain Courageous's attention and approve that. And she's calling him. Wonderful dealer. So skilled. So good at her job very tiny person and a very tiny voice. And she is doing all the right things and she's doing her job well. But in the noise of the casino, she is not getting Captain Courageous's attention. And so I just stand up and in, in my somewhat big, loud voice, I, once again, three three tables away, say, oh, by the way, I'm going to be betting more than 150 if I need to and I'm coming in mid-shoe. And he goes, of course you are. You don't need to bother me with these types of things. And we're he and I are playing a game. He and I are having some jokes together. And a little later, he comes by and he tells the dealer, when I'm busy, TRG knows what he is and is not allowed to do. You don't need to ask me. You're never going to get in trouble if he tells you to do something and and you do it. And he will get in trouble if he steps outside his boundaries, but I'm sure he understands them well. He never tries to abuse that. It's one day. It's one building. The planet's all aligned. But as I was going through that day, I really appreciated how much easier my job was Because I've been applying those two wisdoms. 
which is to say, I cruelly manipulated everyone in the casino for my benefit so that my job is <laughs> easier. Honestly, sometimes I don't know. You decide. If you want to pass the Mitch test, don't remember names, don't ask about camping trips, don't give gifts, don't tip the guy who sweeps the floor in the parking garage lobby a $2 bill, don't do any of those things because, according to Mitch, that makes you a crook. I don't know, folks. You decide. I got some results to share with you. Let's do that next. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's let's talk about results. This is the the back half, the last two weeks of March 2023, and then we will break down all the results, kind of go through them. If you recall from the last episode, it had a had a rough patch. I had, uh, as we talked about, two bad days and a bad table, and finished the first two weeks. Some choices having been made, and we were down. And I didn't let it bug me. Took some money out of the safes. Got back to work. And as we look through things here, let's see what we have. We start out after three, two bad days and a bad hand over the weekend. We start out with a Tier 3 loss. A tier three loss in which the final hand is eights split three times and doubled once versus a seven, and I lost them all. And the the notes say the entire day was action hands, which mean doubles, splits, splits, and doubles. So the entire day was action hands with good draws, and I still lost not fun and not really what I wanted to to deal with. So that was a Friday, but we already had plans. Mrs. TRG wanted to get away. I like to do that for her as much as possible. I like to look at this and say, okay, you're a professional, you're bankrolled for this, but boy, this is not fun, right? We've had multiple tier three Martingale losses. We've tried to recover a little bit. We've gotten smacked back down a little bit. And so we had a little bit of a plan. Bubba wasn't able to come through and compass at Casino 1, but we did have some good match plays, and we did have some good this, and we did have some good that. So we head off to Casino 1 on Saturday morning, and we stop by, and we get all our various free things, and we play some cards, and we make a little money. All right, I'm getting back on track. And then from there, we head to our home casino, Casino 2. And Casino 2 is normally about two and a half hours east and a bit south of our home. If we go there by way of Casino 1, it adds about 30 minutes to the drive. It ends up taking about three hours if we stop by Casino 1 first, but we did that, and we didn't have any comps available at our home casino, Casino 2, because we haven't been hanging out there as much as we should, uh, counter to what Glory told us last week. She kind of has a skewed version of things sometimes, that algorithm. So we stopped by our home casino too. We didn't have a room comp, but we did have enough my cash. That's their free, tax-free imaginary money. We had enough of that that we just went ahead and comped ourselves the room. Mrs. TRG was kind enough to pay for dinner with her free, tax-free imaginary money. So we were comped our dinner as well. And we'd won a little money, as I said, at Casino 1. And we played bubble craps at Casino 2. And I taught Mrs. TRG a bit more about that. And I won some money playing bubble craps. And she won some money playing bubble craps. 
And okay, at least we're, we're getting back into this. So we find the first blackjack table, and in the course of conversation, as I'm winning a nice amount of money, we find out that for the first time in a long time, the high limit room is open. And I've, I'll tell you more about it in a minute, but I've wanted to be there when I got when I could play in that high limit room for a long time. So my ears perked up, and I think if we're being honest in hindsight, that's action I wanted uh, more than I wanted to win. I was I was looking for I was looking for a tier three opportunity. I wasn't manufacturing one, but I was sitting there the whole time looking for a tier three opportunity. So I had a tier one win. I had a little small tier one loss. Not the end of the world. Not a big deal. Because I followed it up with a tier two win. So I'm in good shape, right? And in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, well, back to tier one. Not going to maybe get to that high limit room. So we went and got some food. As I said, we comped ourselves some food, came back, and I had a tier one loss. And I had a tier two loss. And so I told Mrs. TRG I was going to go play in high limit. And the reason I've always wanted to play in this high limit room is it's got to be other than other than the Mirage high limit room, other than like the Bellagio high limit room. This has got to be one of the nicest high limit rooms in the Midwest. Huge room. I mean, let me back up a step. Most high limit rooms are just a quieter space with some walls to separate them from the main floor. Sometimes it's just a partition. Sometimes it's just two tables down on the end with a different colored sign telling you what the what that those are the high limit tables. This is a huge room. Great big long beautiful bar. Two different seating areas to just sit and hang out and talk almost more like a VIP lounge than uh, a high limit uh gambling room. Uh, some high limit slot machines. Just a really nice, beautiful area. And every time I've been there, it's been closed. I've never gotten a chance to play there. So I was uh, admittedly a bit eager to, when the opportunity presented itself, go back and try it out. And I did. And the bartender very quickly brought me a comp pour of the good Canadian whiskey. And when I said, how much is that? intending to just buy my drink because they don't comp that drink on the main floor. She said, oh no, as long as you're going to be playing, that's fine, honey. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So now I'm really liking, really, really liking the uh, the high limit room here. And very quickly, I take a tier three loss. It's one of those classic, at any tier losses, there's not much you can do about it. I'm playing TRG4, win more, keep more. I lose the first bet. I make the second bet, which is two units. I split that. I lose both of those. I make another bet or two and have another double and I lose that. And very quickly, in just a few hands, I am minus, in this case, more than eight units. That's the exit. And that's, I wanted I wanted to play more than I wanted to win. Because the right answer here with the previous wins, the right answer here was to go back, join my wife, and enjoy the rest of the evening. That was the right move. So reset to tier one, except that I'd lost some money of the money I'd won and a little money. Honestly, looking back on it, including Casino One, I was up still a little bit for the day at that point. If I had just walked out and rejoined my wife, uh, it had been okay. We'd have still been plus a little money, but I didn't. I really decided you brought plenty of cash with you. You've always wanted to play here. It's not going to take much to fix this. Just buy in again and try to win back what you've lost. Oh, this is just, it's stupid the more I say it. Needless to say, I got crushed. Let's read the notes. Let's be honest and transparent and read the damn notes. 
Worst day of the last three years. Finished with something split three times and doubled and lost it all. Boy, how many times have we heard that? How many times have we heard that in the last two weeks? Way too many times. Look, the cards are the cards, and it just is what it is, and it's unusual, and it's unfortunate. I did rejoin my wife. We did play a little bit more. I did win just a little bit of money, but here's the reality. We went back upstairs. We went back up to the room. We kind of ran through things, and we both said we probably didn't do that as well as we should have. Probably, In fact, Mrs. TRG literally said we really probably got to clean up our exit points. And she said after dinner, and I finished the sentence, and I said, we were in pretty good shape. We'd fixed a lot of things from last weekend. We should have just gone to the $10 craps table and drank the free drinks that they were willing to comp there and each played half of the Iron Cross and just kind of hung out and tried to make a little money while playing craps at the cheap table. That's how we should, we, we definitely, nobody's mad, nobody's angry, nobody's really sad. We just knew what we'd done and knew from experience that we'd done it wrong. And I sat there, and as we're having that last nightcap, she's like, so what are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm thinking that I'm gonna not enjoy having to sit in front of the microphone, talk into the air, and explain to people that I now, for the month, about roughly 20-ish days in, have no hope of having a winning month. It's just not possible. I mean, this is this is just gonna be the 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 rest of the month looking for a ruby in a mountain of rocks with no Coupe de Ville at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. That's uh, that's just what it's gonna be. Said so I'm gonna have to sit there and I'm gonna have to tell them the truth and I'm gonna have to tell them that while I'm gonna keep playing because that's what I do, it it's I'm it's not fixable, dear. I just gotta admit you've gotta understand that. That we're going to take a loss. So I woke up with that, and in the cold light of day, I looked at it and I said, this, this isn't the end of the world. This isn't great. But I pulled up the various things for her, and I said, look, I, I've just, over the course of about three weeks, lost about 5% of what I won for the past year. It's only 5%. It's, it's, it's not as horrible as it feels. It's not the end of the world. And where I can relate to that is if this month had been my first month, I'd have been devastated. If I had started the month, if I had listened to all 111 episodes of the podcast, if I had taken no notes, and obviously I'm reflecting back here, but if I had taken no notes, listened to all the episodes once, followed the part about putting together the bankroll, walked in, and done some of the stupid things I did, the, the not realizing that I'd won a, a day's pay on the slot machine and, and going to a different casino and playing blackjack because it was take your wife to work. If I had seen my seen a friend from some other part of my life and sat down and played when I knew I really should have walked out, if I'd have then had a really bad table that was no fault of my own, followed by that happening again at my local casino, following by that happening again, in a high limit room that I shouldn't have been in because I should have walked out when I still had a small win for the day and I'd have lost this amount of money, I, I'd i have been crushed. I'd have been crushed. I'd have been devastated. I, I'd have been walking away and saying, I I can't do this anymore. My wife would have been telling me, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, Yeah. Let me tell you about one more. Let me tell you about one that's a little bit interesting and a little bit 
funny and a little bit fun. And then we'll get to the results for the month. Then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this all up. And uh, so anyway, I went through a rough week after that. Not in terms of gambling. Actually, the gambling was kind of fine. But I went through a rough week after that. We've had some just... We've been aggressively cleaning the house because we were going to be hosting some events and some stuff got put where it not, isn't normally. And maybe we all just live in a matrix, but my avatar just kept glitching, if I'm going to use that metaphor. My avatar just kept glitching when I arrived at the casino parking garage at my local casino. Because one day I didn't have... I, I'd left the casino combat ring, which means I wasn't able to change names and dates to protect the innocent and the guilty. It's the power I get from the casino combat ring. So I didn't have the ring and I didn't have the bling and, and I that's fine. And then the next day I show up and I don't have the vest. The vest got put the wrong place to clean up the house to have people come over. And so I didn't have a vest, which means I didn't have all the bankroll. And that's fine. I have more of the bankroll in a cloud safe, as I've called it. I was able to get some extra money out from from bankroll point of view. But it was really interesting. As I walk through the casino, it's more difficult. I'm annoyed. People are not getting out of my way. It is amazing to me what that stupid vest does. I would never have known this if I had just bought a purse instead. I never would have known this. I got to get out of other people's way. And Mitch will probably complain about that. Um, that's probably a sociopath for having the vest. I don't know. Um, Mitch isn't in my head this much. I'm just having fun with it. If we're going to give him his minute, we might as well give him five. Might as well give him his 10 minutes of podcast fame. What the heck? Nothing's organized. I don't have a pen. I don't have hand sanitizer. I don't have a whole variety of things that I'd normally like to have. And as I'm, I'm walking up to the table, I'm having a thought. And I'm keeping it to myself. And one of my favorite pit bosses is there. And he comes over to take my card. And we exchange pleasantries. And he goes, no vest? And I said, nope. I pulled into the parking garage and realized it was in a different closet because we had people coming over, so I didn't see it when I walked out, so I didn't bring it with me, and I got here, and it was 4.30, and my only choice was to come in without the vest or to drive an hour round trip to come back and park in the same... I said, I just decided I'm going to go ahead and try this, and he goes, I'm not sure you can do this without the vest. And I said, well, I'll be honest, the first thought is I got ready to sit down, was it kind of exactly that. My first thought was, can you do it as Bruce Wayne? Because that's really what this is, right? That's the comparison. TRG without the vest is Batman without the utility belt, which is just Bruce Wayne, right? Now, yeah, he's still the world's greatest detective, and he is still an Olympic-level athlete, but as the Joker has told us, he doesn't have all those wonderful toys. And that's my thinking. And he goes, well, or Clark Kent. And then we had a bit of a conversation, which was fun. I said, no, that really isn't the right comparison, is it? I said, because Clark Kent is still as strong as Superman. He's still faster than a speeding bullet. He can still stop a locomotive if he decides to. He can still drop down his glasses and burn something. He's still Superman. And he goes, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is not Superman and Clark Kent. This is the question. Can Bruce Wayne do what Batman can do? <laughs> Fun little thing. And the reality is, yes, I could. I did just fine as Bruce Wayne. It was fine. Just a little weird. Just a little, little weird. But not only did I do it, I actually did it. And then used, I got to my like 12 units. 
And then I used ECE's thing where he would get to five units. He's told you about that. He gets to fi- he's gets to five units, and then he only plays the next two steps of TRG4, win more, keep more. He only plays the one-unit wager, and if he wins, fine. And if he doesn't, he makes the two-unit wager. And if he loses both of those, then he's done, and he would still have uh, a two-unit profit. Well, I got to about 10 or 12 units, and then started doing that, and then added another four units to the win. So not bad, and particularly not bad, because I was doing it as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman. So that was fun. It was a fun little thing. It was a fun little conversation to have. It's a fun way to transition into let's let's do results for the whole month. Let's let's do this. Uh, let me pull this up here. Let me remind you, if you're new here, if this is your first time, I am not bragging. I am not boasting. I am not trying to impress you. You should not be impressed. There are many people that get better results than I got this month. Let me tell you, I got better results than me the last 11-ish months. So not trying to impress you, not trying to brag or boast. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to do? trying to follow the core concepts, which are gamble for the month, which just means gamble for an extended period of time, not for the not for the table or the machine or the day. I'm trying to take a long-term view of this. I gamble by the month. It gives me a lot of peace of mind to sit and do this before I talk with all of you and then sit and do it again with all of you and walk through what happened. Have that memory of sitting in that hotel room. Read my notes that says this is the worst day you've had in, in years. Read my notes about all the things that went on. Analyze it. Put some context around it. Think through it. That's part of our core concepts. And the other part of this is I have believed this since before I owned a microphone. I have believed this since the first time I ever spoke to any of you. If you don't have some semblance of my results, why would you trust me? Why would you even think about believing anything I've told you if if you didn't have this this it, critical piece of information, this key, crucial, critical piece of information. Why would you do any of this if you didn't have this information? So I feel an obligation as your podcast host, your somewhat humbled this month podcast host, I feel an obligation to do this. I also feel an obligation to keep a little bit of privacy and to not create situations where this is heard all over the world, everyone. And I don't know how much or how often it's heard. This podcast has been listened to at least once by at least one person in well over 50 countries. We're approaching 100 countries. That is a variety of standard of livings. I don't want the person that makes $5,000 a day to laugh at me, and I don't want them to make the person who earns $5 a day envious. And quite frankly, I'd like a little privacy. So I give you everything in day's pay numbers, as if I earned $1 a day, because I like to work on the day's pay scale on a regular basis. And I've talked about the origin of that a zillion times, and I probably will a zillion again, and I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to give you the results in the if I earned a dollar a day scale. And these are the results from Mrs. TRG and myself for March 2023. And as has been my custom, I will post for you on the website these results in this format so that you may look them over in detail for yourself and understand them from a written point of view, not from a spoken point of view. Just realize it. 
Sorry, just realizing one thing. We're going to do a little bit of math here just really, really quickly. I'm pulling up the calculator because I realized that I didn't really give you a good number there. Yeah. Okay. So that moment sitting, sitting at Casino 2 and talking with Mrs. TRG and realizing that I'd lost about 5% of what I'd won for the previous year and not, I can't say I didn't feel bad. But I wasn't sad, angry, mad. I sad, angry, mad. I wasn't in despair. I wasn't in oh woe is me. What will I do? I knew what I was gonna do, but I didn't give you that number at the lowest point of the lowest moment of negative outcomes for the month. I was short sixteen dollars and sixty-seven cents on the one dollar a day scale. Sixteen dollars and sixty-seven cents. The equivalent of losing over three weeks pay. Three weeks. As if I had gone to work at my IT job. It was as if I didn't have casino gambling as a side hustle. And I had worked for over three weeks every day, five days a week. And I had lost all the money that the customers were going to pay me. So that was that moment at Casino 2. And so with that number in front of us, let's look at the results for the month. And let me share with you that we finished the month, Mrs. TRG and I, having lost $3.52, rounding up, if I earned $1 a day. Playing slots with our own money, using TRG slot tactic, El Numero Dos, we lost $0.75, again, rounding up playing slots with our real money. But watch this, and you know I had one really good slot win in here because I do believe, as much as I understand that you can't win money playing slots, everyone knows that, and we laugh the people out of the bar that think that that's possible, we are seeing over and over repeatedly that while we have money where months where we lose money using TRG slot tactic El Numero Dos, we have lots of months where we lose money playing with our own money, and we've had plenty where we've won, but it happens like this over and over. That play and that loss drives the free slot play. We had $1.64 of free slot play. From that, we won $2.25, again, rounding up, playing the free slot play. We won money playing slots in total, roughly $1.50 on the $1 a day scale. Is that right? No, that's not right. Nope, that's not right at all. It is, let me do the math. I'm doing the math in my head here. It is roughly 50 cents on the $1 a day scale. So half a day's pay in total, one playing slots. And we know that was helped because I had the, the, the one great day where the machine just went crazy. That gives us a profit or loss uh, I got some more numbers I got to go to here. Let's do some more numbers as he does this, making it up as he goes along. You'd think I'd never done this before. So we played 148 blackjack tables. 66 of them were winning tables and 82 of them were losing tables. So less winning tables than losing tables. And um, that's and it is what it is. I played zero craps, but I did play a fair amount of bubble craps. Um, I played bubble craps 21 times. 13 of them losing, 8 of them winning, and won 92 cents playing bubble craps. 
again, a positive outcome. Again, bubble craps continuing to deliver. I also need to tell you that sports betting has gotten rolled into the mix. And I'm going to tell you about it, but I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing it. Because I have no clue if this works or not. I just have an idea. An idea that I have not tested enough to share with any of you. But an idea that I've implemented. And I'm just going to tell you from now on, I've worked it into the app. I've worked it into the notes. I've brought it all full circle. I now have in my results, in my outcomes, I now know sports betting results. I made 28 bets. I won 19 of them. I lost 9 of them. I had 76 cents in wins if I earned a dollar a day on the day's pay scale. So where does that put us? Where does that put us given that more than uh, two-thirds of the way in, we were minus 16 days, $16 if I earned a dollar a day. Our gambling profit or loss was a loss of 96 cents. Slot play helped. Sports bets helped. All of it helped. It also helped that I sat there in the hotel room, looked at a loss, a big loss, a horrible set of losses, and I said, well, that's 5% of what I've won this year. I'm just going to take some money out of the safe when I get home, and I'm going to put my head down and work. And I did. I just went to work every day, and it didn't take any more Tier 3 losses. Just went back to work. And when it's all said and done, after... Profit or loss after expenses, I lost just a little less than one day's pay. I had expenses of $1.34 at the dollar a day scale and a profit or loss after expenses of a negative $2.30. So we lost $0.96. Cents. We had $1.36 in expenses. You bring it all together, we lost and spent $2.30. We had comps in the amount of $5.33. We received $2.34 in match bets. We received $1.18 in free bets. We received $0.42 cents in gifts. And I will be honest, I took some of the gifts as free bets because the stuff they were giving away was crap. So, uh, I or free play, free slot play, not free bets. I misspoke. So, roll it all together. The money lost the money won, the money spent, the comps, the gifts, the whole thing. Where do we end up? Total value from gambling into our lives, $7.39 on the if I earned a dollar a day scale. And now I will admit to you that is a bit skewed because at least one of those dollars on the $1 a day scale, no, actually probably more like $2.00. I would say realistically, as I do the math in my head, a better number there for total value into our lives is probably more like $5. Because the other $2.39 of value is probably all parking comps. I record them. I take them for granted. A lot of casinos, you don't have to pay to park. A lot of casinos are not right by two major sports uh, venues and concert venues and not by nightlife and hotels. So they, we have to have a fee for parking, and they're nice enough that for some of us, they comp it back. But a chunk of those, a chunk of those comps, probably about $2.30 of those comps, came from parking comps. That's a little gray. That's a little weird. So we can discount that. But the reality is, 
that this is still a winning co casino combat month. And yeah, I kind of buried the lead on you. And yeah, I kind of put the sad dog voice on. Because the reality is I was down over 16 days pay. And I I finished uh, down less than one day's pay. And that's also the other reality. And that's, I'll be honest, I, I rigged the results. I completely rigged the results in this way and in this way only. And I want to tell you about it. The biggest chunk of the losses for Casino Combat this month, and I'm not throwing her under the bus, but the biggest chunk of the losses are Mrs. TRGs. They are not mine. Well over... Uh, well over two-thirds of them, uh, from my way I'm looking at it, look uh, look like they are hers. And I did on the very last day of the month. And I sat there at the bar and I looked at the numbers and I realized that all in all, when you took it all together, that I had turned that over 16 days pay negative into basically a one day's pay negative. And I knew there was a high probability that I, I could play one more table I, I still had a little time on my time roll. There's a very high probability that I could play one more table and and make that number just a little bit positive. I knew at that point that I'd done a pretty amazing thing, that despite how bad I had felt, I put my head down, I went to work, and I fixed most of it. And I decided I was just going to tell this story this way, that I was not going to jump back in, risk making the loss worse. I wasn't going to try to jump back in and do what probably would happen and then come on here and say, look at me, look at what I did, look at TRG, got buried, made some bad choices, did some things that would have ruined everything for most of you, that would have made your spouses and partners mad, that, that would have made you incredibly sad, depressed, and, and all of that. But I came back, I came all the way back, and I finished with a cash money win. I just wasn't going to do it. I, I just... I just wasn't going to do that. I was just going to go through the numbers as they sit and acknowledge that we lost some money playing slots. That yes, in fact, it was a nice comeback. It, uh, it's, uh, it's a little easier to go into April. It's a real little easier to start April Fool's Day feeling a little less foolish, feeling like I, yes, did accomplish something. Technically, on a cash money basis, the streak is over. I had a nice, long, productive set of wins. Very nice, very long, very productive set of wins. Month after month after month after month. I was very fortunate. But the string is over. We have a cash loss after expenses. We have a casino combat winning month, though. The comps and gifts more than made up for the money lost. The value into our lives more than made up for the money lost. And from a pure book's point of view, we're in good shape. We're starting the month of April, having kind of accomplished nothing, but having a good time and living in casinos a little bit. And we got a lot more back from them than the little bit we lost and spent. And now I will get back to the business of going after things and trying to have success in the month of April and I will warn you that this is going to be challenging because I am taking my wife on a much-needed, well-deserved last spring break as a teacher, spring break to Las Vegas in just a couple weeks. The next episode will occur after we get back from that trip. I will be able to tell you about that trip. 
Stick with us on social media. Stick with us on Instagram. I suspect that we will have some great pictures to share with you. Some fun things to talk about. We'll be putting out some information while we're traveling. But if it's a losing month, it's already a losing month. I am already way in the hole. I bought plane tickets. I rented a really cool car to take for one day. I bought tickets to Shin Lin. Lim? Shin Lim? Magician. Mirage. On America's Got Talent. Uh, I bought tickets to see uh, Mad Apple at New York, New York. So I've, I've got to win a whole bunch of money before I even leave just to ho- hope to be even when I get there. So we'll see how it goes. But a casino combat winning month. More importantly, perhaps some lessons were learned. Some lessons were taught. I think uh, that I'm going to hope that in the future, perhaps I will uh, remember, no matter how much I want to play in a high limit room, that it needs to be the right place in the right time. I think I've learned some things about myself, and that's uh, always the reason I do this. Okay, you've got the results. You've got the introspection. I kind of led you down the led you down the story there and made it look worse than it was. And if that bothers you, I'm sorry. It seemed like the best way to tell the tale. Let's go to the virtual VIP lounge. I've got a kind of just interesting one to show you, just a little piece of my life. And it's what I wanted to leave you with in this episode rather than just the results. So let's pop some bottles and let's go do that. A little bit of the bubbly. Welcome to the most must-listened-to segment in casino lifestyle podcasting, the Casino Combat Virtual VIP Lounge, where we have the best virtual everything virtually all the time. And listen, I appreciate everyone playing along But come on, I mean, really, you want the virtual cookies to be warm? Really? I mean, couldn't they just be warm virtual cookies? I mean, you had, okay, all right. Give a mouse a muffin. He will want some jam to go with it, I guess. Fine. We will have, put an effort into, we will see about putting in a cookie baking robot to go with the the pizza making robot. All virtual, of course. But before I put T-Rex on that, Email me so that we know what kind of virtual cookies we need to be able to bake. Because I really, you know, I I said, give them a mouse a muffin, jam, I get it. But I see where this is going. See, we're going to, next week, I'm going to tell you that we put in the virtual cookie baking robot. And then I'm going to get an email saying it only makes chocolate chip. It doesn't make peanut butter or vice versa or whatever. And if the virtual pizza making robot isn't enough and the virtual cookie baking robot isn't enough, then I know you're going to want a virtual hot pretzel machine. So if that's going to come next, that's fine. Just let me rip out the virtual pizza making robot and I'll skip the virtual cookie baking robot and I will just put in the virtual oven that will make you cookies, pretzels, or pizza on demand. It's a more expensive virtual robot, but we've got the virtual budget for it. Anyway, I love VIP lounges in casinos. I love getting a chance to have some food, have a drink, meet some friends, make some new friends, swap stories. So make a virtual plate. Help yourself to a virtual pizza made by the virtual pizza making robot. Help yourself to a virtual cookie. I'm sorry, it's a cold virtual cookie, not a warm virtual cookie. Have a virtual drink. Have some virtual milk to go with your virtual cookies. In an ideal world, press pause and pour something for yourself. Join me in a drink. It is early. I am just having orange juice today, but I have it right here with me. Been doing it as I've been kind of getting ready to do this podcast and and dig into everything. It's good for us to share drinks as friends. It's good for us to share drinks as, as squad mates, even if that's virtual, even if that's at a distance. And the story I want to tell you today is a story that I don't believe in, in the sense that I don't believe in luck. 
I believe that luck is a matter of preparation and opportunity, at least as it relates to success in gambling. But nevertheless, this is a story about luck. Mrs. TRG and I went to Las Vegas. This was before we had children. Took a trip to Las Vegas, had some fun, and, and won a nice chunk of money. And came home, and were really happy about that. And I was going on a Wednesday evening to meet up with some friends to involve ourselves in some tabletop role-playing. Yes, I was a D&D player back in the day. And I, we just live in a quiet little neighborhood on a quiet little street. And I kind of make a right-hand turn and stop at a stoplight and, or stop sign and stop and, and start forward. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see something and I start to hit the brakes, and there is a thump. Just like that. And so I stop the car, put it in park, go out, and there's a little girl lying on the ground, and her mother is now standing on the steps of the house, and she is yelling that I killed her daughter, and that I was speeding, and how dare I, but she's not coming to check on her daughter. She's just yelling and screaming at me. And the little girl's moving, and the little girl starts to stand up, and so I help her up, and I say, are you okay, sweetie? Are you all right? And she says, I'm okay. I'm all right. And her knee was scraped and this and that, and her mom is still yelling at me that I'm a murderer, and I'm thinking, how, you know, look, I don't know how I'd react in that situation. I'm not casting aspersions. I am trying to tell a story and share some of the irony and share some of my experiences in the moment, but I take her to her mom, and her mom, as I said, is yelling and screaming, and now her mom's got her little girl, and I took out my my little candy bar phone, did have a phone at that point, and take out my little candy bar phone. I said, I'm going to call the police. I'm assuming you'd like to do that. And she says, well, you have to call the police because you were speeding, and you almost killed my daughter. And I said, okay, we're going to call the police. So the police show up, and they take her side of the, the mom's, they take the daughter's side of the story, the little girl's side of the story, which is that... She didn't see me, and she ran to cross the street, and she hit my car. She he takes mom's side of the story, which that I was speeding, I was driving at a maniac like a maniac, and I hit his daughter and ran her over. And my side of the story, which was I didn't see her, I didn't realize she was between the parked cars, didn't know about anything about her till she hit the side of my car. But I don't think I could have been speeding. The stoplight, the stop sign is is just about four car lengths back. I'm in a big SUV. I would have had to just stomp on it right out of the stoplight to or stop sign to be going fast in any way, officer. And he says, okay, I think I'm going to take this little girl to the hospital. Here's my card. I've got your information. I, I don't, I think everything is going to be fine, but we're going to take this girl to the hospital and have her checked out. I need you to come see me at the police station in the next 48 hours. Don't come now. I won't be there. Come tomorrow. Okay, fine. So I'm shaking. I'm, I'm really shook. This could have been horrible. For me, for her, for ever, this could have been horrible. This could have been life-changingly horrible for at least three, four, five people if this had gone just a little differently. If I had hit her instead of her hitting the side of my truck, if she'd have been a second quicker, if I'd have been a second sooner coming out of the stop sign, this would have happened very, very differently. And so I stopped and, 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 I, and I'm shook. And I, uh, I went, wow, you were really, really, really lucky in Las Vegas. It, and, and, and you were incredibly lucky here. 
and luck comes in threes, and there was a lottery drawing coming up, and so I bought a lottery ticket, and I went on about my night, just calmed down a little bit, I went on about my night, and didn't really think anything about the lottery ticket, and I went to see the police officer, and he says, I, I see you haven't, I, I said, you know, how, how's the little girl? Right, went to see the police officer. How's the little girl? He said she was fine. A couple little scrapes, nothing serious. They didn't keep her for observation. No sign of concussion. No, nothing broken. She's fine. Mom's mad. I said I'd be mad if I was mom too. It's fine. And he says I see you haven't washed the car. And I said, well, no, but how? How do you know? And he goes, oh, he goes, I I can see her. <laughs> I can see the imprint of exactly where she hit the car right here in. The fact that your car isn't washed, I can see where she hit and I can see where she slid off. And so I don't see any way to substantiate the idea that you hit her. The evidence seems to clearly suggest that she hit you. I see no indication that you were speeding. I'm not writing you a ticket. I'm not writing you a citation. I don't think we'll ever need to speak to you again. But if you get a call, please come back down the way you did today. But otherwise, this matter is closed. Went on about that day. As I was getting ready to get out of the car, I went, oh, look, there's this lottery ticket. That's right. I bought this lottery ticket to yesterday because I, you know, luck comes in threes. And sure enough, we got five out of six. Didn't get the six out of six. Didn't get the big money, but got five out of six. And it was about $1,800. And so obviously this has been a topic of conversation between my wife and I. And she's like, well, what do you want to do with the money? And I said, you know, we were lucky in Las Vegas. I was lucky that I didn't hurt that little girl. We were very lucky to win this money. I know we just got back from Las Vegas, and I know that was going to be the only vacation we were going to take. Do you want to go to Atlantic City? I've never been to Atlantic City. I didn't know anything about Atlantic City. I knew there was, I knew there was gambling there. I knew there was a boardwalk there. But I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't studied it. I'd done no research. But she goes, okay, yeah. Now, this is far enough back, everyone, that there is no internet. There is no Expedia. There is no Travelocity. There is none of those things. But at the time, I worked for a, a company that had a travel service because a lot of companies had a travel service back then when, we were, when they were big companies. And as employees, we could use the travel service either to schedule work trips or to schedule personal trips or, and pay for them ourselves. So I spoke to the travel agent. I said, this is about how much I want to spend. This is when we want to travel. We'd like to go to Atlantic City. And to show how much I didn't know, it would have been easier just to drive it, but we weren't paying attention. In our minds, Atlantic City was very far, way over there, way, way over there by the ocean. And we're nowhere close to the ocean, so we have to fly, and we have money that we won from the lottery, so that's fine. We'll fly with the lottery money, and everything is booked, and I make it clear that we need to be, that I want to stay in one of the casinos, and everything gets booked, and all the money is paid, and I, you know, several days out, I get the travel reservations. And we're not at a casino. And so I call and I said, we're not, I, I thought it was going to be a casino. That's the whole idea. And she goes, well, it's Atlantic City. It's a really nice hotel. I know you said you prefer to, I said, I, I need to get up or intend, I said, I intend to get up almost every morning and go down and do some gambling while my wife is sleeping in and getting ready to go get breakfast. I'm going to get up at 6.30, 7 o'clock every morning and gamble for a couple hours. And you've got me nowhere near the boardwalk. And the travel agent said, well, I can't change the flights and I can't change it to a different hotel. But I'll tell you what, you just get cabs anytime you need them to go to the casino. It looks like it's just a short drive. You just get cabs anytime you need them. You save all the receipts. 
We'll reimburse you for all of this. This is our fault. So off we go to Atlantic City and we take cabs back and forth two, three times a day to various casinos, which let us see a lot of different casinos because I could just pick one. And I got to play at the Claridge, which is now going to be the first uh, cannabis dispensary, or at least a part of it is going to be the first cannabis dispensary in Atlantic City. Wonderful historical building. I love that I have the memory of it being a casino because it is no longer a casino. It hasn't been for years. But I love that I have the memory of it being a casino and me getting to play there. We had a wonderful time. We did end up, uh, unfortunately, getting rerouted to the Philly airport from the... We were supposed to fly to the Atlantic City airport. We ended up at the Philly airport. As a result, we ended up with our first limo ride ever. The travel company arranged for a limo from... Philadelphia to Atlantic City, as I said, multiple cab rides. In the end, the cabs ended up costing more than the hotel, which is I'm not sure what the travel agent expected. I don't think she quite understood. I don't think the communication was good. They honored it. They they paid it all back. I don't think they could have possibly made much money on that. I'm not sure what the, the agent expected. I do wish I'd kept some chips from that. It was years and years and years before I decided to start keeping one $1 chip from everywhere I was. I wish I'd have kept some of those chips because those are buildings that still exist but are no longer casinos. It would be great to have those and have that memory. Not a great intro to Atlantic City. Not the, the perfect intro to the only place outside Vegas that allowed gambling at the time. And I for no reason other than just circumstance and not really realizing that it was a relatively drivable place. We did not end up back in Atlantic city for a very long time. Always really, really aware and grateful that that, uh, that little girl wasn't hurt. And this is the story that comes up from time to time when someone asks if I've ever been to Atlantic city. And I couldn't think of a better use for the VIP lounge today than to share that little bit about myself. And that even though that was kind of a rough, rocky and admittedly, fortuitous introduction to Atlantic City. It has come to be a place that we really love today, uh, a place that we really love spending time, a place that we really love getting able to, to be and enjoy. Please tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, tip your dealers. If you have a host, tip your host. Remember our wisdoms. Don't tip, tip away your wins. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. In 10 years, we may find out I was wrong about all of this. It's time for leaving, and I hope you understand... I was born a rambling man. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your family and friends. Except for you, Mitch. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Just kidding, Mitch. Uh, stick around for the best part of the podcast.
Cause she 